We've just launched two brand new shows on our LinkedIn page, and if you love our podcast, you should go and check them out. Every Tuesday, we deep dive into the biggest banking and fintech news stories with our show Newsroom. We've already had great episodes on the FinCEN files leak and the Crowdcube and Cedars merger that you can watch back on our LinkedIn or YouTube now. And every Thursday, we speak to experts in technology and financial services about the work that they do and their careers to date. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor and in today's show we're going to be talking all about child accounts, kids cards and of course financial literacy for young people. We want to find out how the use of financial tools for younger people is developing, particularly as a result of the pandemic. What are the risks? What are the challenges? And what are the opportunities that come along with an increasing number of children engaging with digital financial products? To help dive into this topic, I am joined by some incredible guests. Returning to the show, we're joined by Louise Hill, who is co-founder and chief operating officer at GoHenry. Thanks for joining us, Louise. Can you tell us a little bit about you and GoHenry? Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, great to be here. Um, GoHenry was the first service of its kind when we started back in 2012. And we remain true to our original purpose today, which is to empower kids to use money in the way that money is used in real life and to help them learn to transition into adulthood. Because we feel very strongly that kids who can't manage money are going to turn into adults that can't manage money. And we're trying to avoid that. Um, we have over 1.3 million customers globally now. That's across the UK and the US. And uh, we provide that service via a prepaid debit card and app with unique parental controls for kids between the ages of 6 and 18. Thank you so much, Louise. Excited to have you on the show. Um, and making a Fintech Insider return is the one and only Stephen Jury, who's Director of Innovation at Santander. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do over at Santander, Stephen? Sure, Simon. It's great to be back. Um, I'm the Director of Innovation, so I sit and work with teams right across the UK bank um, that can see me pick up things from uh, as broad-reaching as helping children to understand money and exploring and experimenting with what that could mean for Santander as a bank. We did quite a lot of work on this over the last two to three years, inspired by some of the work that the team at GoHemry and others have done uh, globally in some other markets. Uh, but also pick up uh, a whole host of other um, innovations that the, the bank push forward. So it's, a, it's great to be here and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Thank you, Stephen. And last but by no means least is uh, Mason Dakey, who's lead product owner of Revolut Junior, uh, making a debut on the show, I believe. Thank you for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about Revolut Junior. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. Well, Revolut Junior is a, is a junior account designed for kids and they're pretty much uh, controlled by the parents. Uh, who want the children to gain financial skills and learn how to use and manage money. Fantastic. Um, as simple as it sounds. I like I like something that's easy to describe. Uh, often the simplest sentences are the ones that are the hardest to construct and still be accurate. So well done there. Um, all righty. Um, I'm going to start with Louise. What you know, You've been on a journey, I imagine, with, with GoHenry. And uh, what gap did you see in the market originally? And, and what are the aims that, that something like GoHenry is designed to, to really achieve? What is, it, what is it there to do? I think we, we briefly mentioned, um, you know, I like the point you made about kids that don't understand money are probably going to turn into adults. Was it that? Was it something else? Was it personal experience? It was absolutely that. And I think it came from personal experience. 
I realized with my own kids, who at the time were kind of, I think they were nine and, and 12, that we were leaving our kids behind. You know, I was handing over cash when I could find it, when I had some on me on a Saturday morning. And yet they were watching me using contactless debit cards. They were seeing me shop online. And we just weren't providing anything to them. And I couldn't find anything out there in the marketplace that would let me as a parent teach them how to use money like that. And they were they were needing to. So there's obviously a clear gap. And I guess, how did you figure out what age to start working with because there are so many variations in the ages age ranges what sort of and and also what age range do you target well now we target six to 18 we provide a service for six to 18 when we launched it was eight to 18 and then we had so many customers coming to us and saying no 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 we want this for our younger kids as well that uh, we actually extended the age range down to age six but yes, you, you make a very salient point. You know, we tend to think about our kids and teenagers customer base in, in three separate bands because, yeah, as you say, a, a six-year-old and, and a seven, eight-year-old, their needs and how they're using a tool is vastly different from a 14, 15, 16-year-old. Indeed. Um, Stephen, maybe we could double click on that. What, how, what have you observed when you've worked with customers and done research about what some of the key ages are and what some of the key requirements are at those ages? Yeah, I find this really interesting. And I think from personal experience is a lot of where my inspiration came from to to delve into this a lot more in particular when we started to look at the development of a proposition we we built out a few years back called money monsters um i've got four children um my eldest will be 10 this year and, and quite interestingly for louise her number one birthday present is a go henry card um so actually what it's starting to do is generate a really interesting conversation i think at a much younger age in terms of what it means to own and manage and kind of take agency over your money and I think that's a really encouraging thing to see socially because it can help them to manage children to a position where they can better understand how to control, uh, understand, use their money most effectively when they become adults. Uh, now, when we started to look at the Money Monsters proposition, we began to build out a better understanding there off the back of our one, two, three mini proposition. Um, and in particular there, children typically see their their account in that product come out of trust around the age of 13. When, and when it comes out of trust, it's, it's at that point that a, a child can get access to a, a contactless debit card. And one of the challenges you start to see emerging now, which I think Go Henry and others have done really well, is, is enable access to that card at a much younger age. Because what was happening previously and the way children were learning about money, and certainly the way I learned about money, was through physical interaction with cash. It was about collecting coins and potentially notes on birthdays, doing chores um, and, and saving up money and seeing that physically grow in a money box. Mm. I would take some of it out and I'd go and spend it. And when I came back, I'd put my change in and I'd see that I had less. And that's a really important learning pattern for a child. But in an environment where things are becoming more contactless, so the cash is disappearing, and parents are now starting to help children spend their pocket money. They're the ones making the tap with the contactless payment or card or potentially a, a, a Apple Pay, for example. Um, you're losing that learning pattern. And I think when you really get into the behavioral insights that sit behind that, I think there's some fascinating uh, areas, both of concern and opportunity, um, that I think are, are beyond just 
the individual opportunities that banks and new entrants in the market have uh, around the commercial opportunities, but actually around the social responsibility that we have to ensure we get this right. Mm. I think that point about behavioural observations is really, really key. Um, Louise, I know you wanted to jump in there. I was going to say to the point that Stephen was making, we hear an awful lot from our customers that um, they see behavioural changes in their kids as they start using GoHenry. And that the, the simple fact of giving money to the kids, digital, online, or, or how or physical, and then allowing the child to make the decision on how they spend it, whether they spend it wisely or not so wisely, um, creates a real behavior shift because the child starts to think about what they're doing with that money and what is going to happen when they don't have any left. Mm. It, it's the whole learning of you know, the old adage, money doesn't grow on trees, but also the consequence of spending that money. So as as Stephen said, um, when I grew up as well, you know, when I'd spent my money, it had gone out of my purse and that was it. Well, in exactly the same way, we can replicate that with digital apps because we can show them what's left and we can show them uh, in real time. You know, we can ping a little notification to their phone or their tablet to say, hey, you just spent X, you've got Y left. Mason, I want to bring you in here. Um, what what do you think about this conversation so far? Are they, it, and how's this impacted the design of Revolut Junior in particular? Well, um, I think the initial point that you know, Luis mentioned, which was around the fact that you're so, that everything is going, the economy is moving digital. You're paying so much uh, everything online through contactless. We're paying online, etc. I think that particular need is something. I remember when one of the user interviews, the user actually said that you know, when my kids get cash from their grandparents it's actually a problem for me because because it's a problem for them because they want to spend it digitally and and it's very difficult then to go to a digital bank you know, find a bank account and put the money over there so that they can then go ahead and spend it and then they can only spend it through my account so i think there's the very first level aim is is, is very much right, the basic one which is the economy is moving digital and we can't leave the kids behind i mean they're important part of the economy so so, so they're going to come uh, that needs to happen and um so, so that's basically where you know where the initial idea started, and that's where you know a lot of our users actually said that you know, we're looking for such such products, which is very interesting and very exciting. And if you can provide these kind of tools to the kids as well, I think that would be great. It's super interesting, uh, Stephen, that um, we've got entrepreneurs coming into this space to solve this problem. Do you think that there's a reason why um, an incumbent bank might have not done this historically? Are there some real challenges um, besides the the behavioral and social that that clearly have some upside and some interesting challenges on the the commercial side? Yeah, I think um, there's an interesting area there. I think one aspect that wasn't looked at and hasn't been generally uh, moved for, uh, across the sort of more incumbent players has been this this shift from uh, a younger age range having access to a card. And this comes down to the, the removal of trust at, at a certain age. I think the other challenge has been actually the speed of growth of contactless and the shift to digital, actually. It's, um, there hasn't been that same demand for finding ways to enable children to engage more proactively with digital money. And it's that that problem that, that really got us engaged in thinking about how we could solve that at a, at a younger age. Um, and I think we go right back to where we started when we were exploring the Money Monsters proposition. Some of what we were inspired by there was uh, some of the experiences delivered by DigiPiggy and Clever Cash in other markets, where at a much younger age range, so you're talking sort of five to seven years old, 
looking at how children can engage with something physically that enables them just to effectively see their money. So a digital money box, effectively, that you can shake, you can interact with. It will make a call to a bank account to see what the balance of the account is, to see when transactions have happened. And at that younger age, certainly when we've explored and experimented, um, that that learning pattern from five to seven in particular, perhaps less so as you go eight, nine, ten, around the engagement physically uh, in a way that can replace the the role that cash had, um, is still quite important. And I, and I think it's something that, as I've continued to track the progress of the likes of DigiPiggy um, and Clever Cash, uh, I think there's still some interesting territory and space for innovation in that part of the market. But at that point, I think it's interesting when you move up to the older age ranges and you begin to think about how accessible Fitbits and wearables are. Um, actually begin to start to look at how there's a transition across effectively channels, actually responsibility for the card, the wearable. And, and this is where it gets very interesting in terms of the learning patterns, the ability to bring potentially AI and, and uh, nudging and, and experience management into how children look after and are responsible for spending, saving and earning money. There is a, a fantastic Cambridge University study that was done almost 10 years ago now that we often refer back to because it has so so many gems in it. But um, it showed that children's financial habits are usually formed by the age of seven. And, and you know, that became a, a real, really important point for us as we were developing Go Henry um, in terms of helping children as young as that to learn about money so that they were learning these habits from an early age and understanding the implications of decisions that they made from an early age so that they take that through and on into adulthood and those core behaviours are formed early. I think those adaptations of behaviour is just the absolutely core point here. And Mason, I'm interested in um, what role sort of um, digital innovation can really do um, to to kind of create those uh, adaptations and what role um, kind of entrepreneurs and startups can do um, to to try and drive that more and more. What do you think it is about a Revolut Junior that's going to appeal to to folks and and how do you think it's going to help close some of those gaps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um there are some there are some very basic uh, the basic features right the allowances that that you give to your kids and that starts pretty early in the age uh, you start giving them allowances uh, you teach them about you know spending money and saving money uh, it then around the same time you know, certain situations trigger um, uh, you know behaviors such as uh, parent parents giving tasks and chores to their kids uh, in which that's how they decide to teach their kids um, and and say that you do this you incentivize certain behavior. And then you earn out of it. So it's just not just you know, coming up and saying, you know, I need money for X, Y, and Z. Um, uh, the parents just have this tool to actually go ahead and say, you, know, you do certain tasks, you do certain chores, and then that's how you can earn money out of it. Um, so, so that changes and that progresses. And, and as, as kids get older, they, uh, you know, they just understand finance more. They just, even through the schools, even through their peers, they just learn more concepts about around money, which is around interest, around um uh, learning interest on their savings. Uh, they have bigger goals that they set themselves. Um, you know, but, uh, they, they probably are looking forward for a, for a vacation with their with their friends. They're looking to go for a trip. So, so they have like bigger goals, and and maybe from the allowances, maybe from the tasks or you know, these things that they're actually doing, that's not you know what they what's enough. And then that's the concept of interest comes in, and that's how you can teach them about interest, etc. So, so it it's basically you know just mimicking how as as they grow older, your needs change as as a kid. And as your needs change, your your spending or or, or your pattern of behavior, you know, behavior of spending or saving changes 
And that's when you can introduce different concepts to the kids. Stephen, you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, I think what's really interesting, if I just overlay like my, my personal experience as a dad, because I think this is where I started to see that transition as my children have got older. Um, and I have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, so soon to be 10 and a very little one. So I'm seeing that actual learning pattern at those three different ages. And certainly the uh, from the age of five to seven, um, what, I'm, what I've seen is the importance of that physical engagement with uh, being able to earn something, have something and see it grow, spend something and see something less. Um, I guess that starts to embed itself in, in an understanding of money from that age sort of seven, eight, nine. And it becomes much more about right, how do I use my money and how do I spend, which is where you start to see and why I feel my daughter is, is, is asking and interested in Go Henry, for example, because she's looking now to, to take control over her money. And the way she sees people taking control over their money is to take a card to see something I want, to tap and to buy something. And it's that shift in pattern as more things move to contactless. And I think COVID has also accelerated that because uh, many of us are using way less cash. Um, it, it, it's that experience that I'm feeling is beginning to drive the learning pattern and the growing interest in this area, certainly from a social perspective. Because more so as things become digital and virtual, you start to enter into the space where they need to think about the security and the control and the management of their money. And certainly when you get to the ages of 11, 12, 13 and upwards, this is where a combination of their much greater awareness now children have got of, of cyber and security alongside their money. And then you get into some very interesting territories of the purpose of the bank, how to protect your money, how to look after and grow, how to earn, um, even how to engage digitally with the, the chores or the opportunities I might have around the house to build mm. up my savings. Um, and this is where digital, I think, can create some beautiful and elegant experiences for children to begin to learn and see things grow. There's so many things that you're sort of learning as you grow and you're being exposed to more dangers like cybersecurity, like losing your money, like all of that sort of stuff. But the right digital experience can really help with that. Um, I, I do want to very quickly ask, um, Louise, do you think that uh, this is a banks versus new startups thing or do, are we sharing a goal here? Is this like going to be pulling away real business from the big banks and they'd left some open space? I think if I wound the clock back, um, 10 years when this idea first formed for, for Go Henry, um, banks had left space. Um, I think what we've seen in the last uh, couple of years, probably three years, is a lot more entrance into the market. And while I have to say most of them are um, startups and, and, and uh, not from the large banks, there are a few large banks beginning to dip their toes uh, in the water. Clearly, Stephen and Santander have done that for some time. But yeah, there are a number of the larger players coming into the water. I, I think it's always easier as a new entrant because you can build your tech stack from the ground up and you know you can react much more quickly and be to how customers are actually using your, your product and, and adapt and respond to the needs. And, and I think that's always the the will the incumbent get innovation before the uh, kind of innovator gets distribution innovators dilemma. But and, and it's an advantage, but it's also a cost as well. In that the, there's a lot of things you got to build from scratch. Um, I think that rounds out kind of the first section really neatly. And I want to come to our uh, kind of opportunity and education side. We've we've sort of talked uh, around the concept of financial literacy. I think Mason, you talked a little bit about um, kind of the importance there. 
of uh, understanding interest rates and understanding some of these things at different ages. How do these apps help both the parents and the children with that? And, and do you see um, kind of it, there's a risk that there's a lot of parents out there that might lack some financial literacy? No, that, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, what these apps actually provide are, are you know, certain tools that enable kids and parents to learn through these real-life examples. Um, uh, the, the teaching really comes from the parents um, at the end of the day, but because they have the controls, they have they have the uh, you know, they have the money that they, that they give the kids uh, to learn from. Um, and an example, very good example of this, I'll actually pull out from uh, uh, from from one of the user interviews. Which was uh, the, the parents said that my kid likes to play video games and it sometimes obviously has a money element or they need some extra money, they need some pocket money. And before it used to be that um, they would keep asking me for that money and they'd come and tell me that, you know, uh, you know, I need to buy this video game. Can I get some extra money in this, this, this week, et cetera? And then they said that, you know, it, it, it was, I really felt that they need to understand the value of money and, and how to earn that money. And then one of the features which, which they said they absolutely loved was, was tasks. Which was basically, um, uh, you know, I'd set up some tasks for them. We had this discussion, so they had now they had a tool. So basically, we said that when we saw tasks, we just had a discussion with the kid and said, "We'll give you some tasks. We'll give you some chores every week, right?" And and you do those chores, and then you do the tasks, and you earn you earn the extra cash that you need and the way you want to spend it. So um, uh, so they said that they had that conversation, and then the first thing like next morning, the kid now does is basically they just you know, open the app and they just see what chores are out there for me to do. How can I earn that extra cash and basically go ahead and, and, and get that money? And, and it doesn't even stop there, right? So it's it's the first trigger that has happened. The conversation has started, which leads to the second level of conversation, which is why do I get only this much for this task? And why do I get you know mm-hmm. more money for the other task, right? Uh, and, and then that basically teaches the kid the, the value that some things pay less, some things pay more. And, and relative sometimes value, money, yeah. Relative value of money. And then you might not like to do all of those tasks. Uh, some of the tasks are probably pay higher. Maybe you don't like to uh, do those, but that's you know, if you want that money, that's that's the value of that you know of, of money. And so, so that's very interesting. And that's that's basically how financial apps actually are starting these conversations. They're helping. They give the tool. You give the tool set to the parents, um, and then and then that just creates a situation in which you know, the parents can have the discussion and talk to them and learn about them. And then it's very interesting that you mentioned that uh, you know some of the parents. Uh, may not have that themselves or you know may not have thought of that themselves right now so so what this actually gives us it, it's 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 interesting because in in you know in the absence of these apps what would happen is that probably those conversations would never have happened uh and and this just basically provides a platform where there is kind of a, a conformity or a consistency in, in terms of even the parents get some guidance in terms of okay probably this is the age when i can start talking to my kid about you know, something such as the value of money. And then probably at a later age, this is probably sometime, you know, when I can start talking to my kid about interest rates uh, and, and say that, okay, you want to you want to save more, you want more money, then, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah, it is so powerful, that, that combination, isn't it, Mason? Louise, you want us to jump in there? Well, I was going to say, what the fantastic thing about it is that by using these apps, the, the kids are learning in a practical way. They're learning by doing it's not theory. It's not classroom learning. Classroom learning is great in the right place, but this is practical learning about money at the time you're using it. And as Mason says, it, it's it's in a way it's putting it's making it easy for parents to give these skills to their kids, um, whether the parents knew, knew about it, were going to frame it in that way or, or not before. And certainly, 
conversations about money. That's got to be the most powerful thing, conversations in the family about money. I love that idea that all of this is triggering those conversations. I think there's a lot of that that came out of what Mason was saying. And Louise, that's, that's hit, it, hit it really clearly that um, an adult has to work in order to get the money and they have to do all of these things day to day. And, and actually, it's creating that conversation about why that's the case. Um, and I wonder, um, are we teaching some life skills here that uh, have been a little bit overlooked by uh, parents by forcing that conversation? Or is it just that the parents... Um, didn't have a tool or an avenue that was really clear to do that. I don't know if, Stephen, that's something that um, you've seen in, in your research. Uh, we, we have seen that. Um, we've seen it increasingly as parents have become more and more time poor. Um, I think the more pressures there are on parents, um, the, the less time and space there is for sitting down and having conversations about money and actually getting into some of those, those debates. Um, as a bank, we do... Uh, some programs where we take we go into schools and we support a program called MoneyWise and a, f- a few of the other large banks also have similar propositions. But this is classroom based learning, and, and as Louise described, actually it, it, sometimes these things need to be connected to really timely events, things that have just happened. I've just spent some money, I've now got less, um, or, or or in relation to understanding the different denominations of money. Actually, how many coins are there? What is each one of them worth? Go and find them. Let's have a conversation about associating some value to some different items, as as Mason was describing. Um, Finding the time to make that happen um, is incredibly challenging. I think one of the interesting things around uh, the evolution of the apps and the digital experiences and learning that can come here is it it can often be positioned in a in a device that children want to pick up and they want to interact with which is is part of the challenge and the start point um, now when we were doing our work on money monsters we worked with the team at thought machine because i know you talked about sort of fintechs and the startups so uh, mark warwick travis uh Clark Walkers and um, Paul Taylor uh, and the team there. And when we started to work on the prototypes and the experimentation that we took to the toy fair, that was all about trying to put into the hands of children uh, physical prototypes of digital money boxes, asking them to tell us what they were learning when they were picking them up and they were shaking them and seeing what um, the balances came up and and the insight around the money that come in and out of an account. And seeing how, how children engage with the product is such an important part of how to adapt and evolve the design of a proposition as well. Um, and I wonder whether that's something that um, perhaps Louise and Mason have seen from having products live in the market, is how by having people use them and learn from them, feedback from parents, feedback from children about the realities of helping kids to engage with their money day to day has actually influenced the shape and the design and the direction that they've taken. I could give you two specific examples. Um, when we launched, um, I used to do a lot of talking about the three pillars of money management. So I was talking about earning, saving and spending. And um, through talking to our customers, um, getting feedback from kids who were using GoHenry and who were not using GoHenry, and actually looking at where the kids were spending their money, we saw that we had a huge number of kids who were donating to charity. And, you know, that might be direct to a charity. It might be via Just Giving or, or one of the other sort of charity collection apps uh, um, services. And um, we now talk about four pillars of money management. And we talk about earning, saving, spending and giving. And we, we launched a, a, a partnership in the UK with the NSPCC um, 18 months ago. 
um, which allows the kids to make micro donations. They can donate 2p a week or one off 5p or, or whatever they want to the NSPCC. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was thrilled just before Christmas, we were able to announce that Go Henry Kids had donated over £100,000 to the NSPCC. Wow. It, it's fantastic to see how they're doing that. The other example I was going to give you was um, teenagers. <laughs> Love them and hate them. Um, my, my two kids are now 19 and 22, so they've, they've, they've kind of emerged the other end of that teenagerdom, sort of, sometimes. But um, as, as kids evolve into um, the teens, as we've all said on this call, that the, their needs change, how they interact with money changes, their um, tolerance of parental oversight becomes zero. Um, clearly, the parents don't agree with that necessarily. But we've launched, um, it's only about six months ago, we launched the first iteration of a teen version of the app. And um, we've created a new range of cards um, that the teenagers get access to as they hit 13. Um, They have a new range of avatars and kind of backgrounds and looks for the app. And we've started to roll out peer-to-peer payments so they can uh, ping a note to their mate and say, hey, you owe me £10 for the pizza last night and get the money back into their account. It's enabling real life it's fulfilling real life need within a money app it's 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 interesting how that need continues to evolve um very quickly before we go to a quick ad break i just want to ask um louise what you're seeing in terms of spending habits changes during the pandemic and post-pandemic um have you seen any yep we certainly have um it was fascinating to see the difference between the uk and the us um, as you can well imagine, in the UK, with knowledge of when we went into lockdown, um, spending on the high street disappeared overnight in the UK, didn't in the US. Um, and uh, what the parents funding the accounts carried on at the same level. Um, and then gradually the online spend picked up and up and up. And it's been interesting to watch as lo- we came out of lockdown. High street spending went back to the normal levels. Online spend has remained elevated. And uh, I know we've gone into kind of a second lockdown at the moment, but that online spend is still much, much higher than uh, it was pre, pre-COVID. And that is interesting in that now we've got a generation of people buying online as, as normalized. Um, and in a way, it sort of replicates what we've seen uh, in, in, in the, the kind of the adult population as well, which is we've shunted forward an online purchasing. And we're seeing high street retailers sort of close down and big name brands sort of disappear from the high street as as or even be acquired by some of their online competitors. So I, I just wanted to give a little uh, pandemic detour there. But we do have to pause now and take a quick shout out from our sponsors so thank you so much to our sponsors and let's hear from them now this episode is brought to you by jack henry digital the pioneers of personal digital banking they are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal human-centered service that puts the customer first your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud-based core connected tools to offer service at the moment of need to learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. This episode is also brought to you by MyTech. Digital identity verification trusted the world over. 
Secure more high-value customers while reducing risk and costs with MyTech, a global leader and enterprise partner in identity verification technology. Create certainty in today's digital world with MyTech. Alrighty, thank you so much to our sponsors. Let's get on with the show. Um, Against that background of increasing digital risk that I think um, Stephen mentioned briefly earlier as we move our lives online, how do parents start to feel confident about um, adding to children's potential exposure to criminality? Like, How do you create that parent confidence? I don't know if, Mason, that's something you've thought about is that parent confidence issue. Well, the first thing to think about is, um, is the economy is moving digital and, and, and we'll have these apps for you know, for kids to move digital, so it's it's inevitable, yeah, that you know, there are more financial apps for kids that kids actually start spending online as well. Um, and and uh, just to summarize, the financial, you know, the apps that are out there today, I'm, I'm pretty sure they go through as strict security compliance and, and audits as possible as compared to any other app. Um, especially, I can talk about you know you know in our case, Revolut itself, for example, has um, has very thorough compliance and uh, uh, insecurity fin crime measures that that are in place so so that itself is is in place and and uh, typically when a, when a when a parent joins revolute they can see that they understand that okay these are all the you know the security measures that you know are taken and, and you know are are catered for when when i joined revolute so essentially when we when we talk to you know talk to parents we say that the revolute junior account is actually a subset of of an extension of their own account so in in an extension uh, all the security measures that that are taken, you know, that that we've catered for, is also extended to kids. Uh, and and on top of that, additionally, there are the 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 ways in which you can use the data for kids, etc. Is very very, uh, you know, it, it, there are proper guidelines around that and regulations around that from the government. You can't use the same way that you use the kids' data that you can use the parents' data. So so basically, you know, when we go out. You know, to parents, we just tell them that uh, uh, you know, all these security measures are in place, uh, and on top of that, you know, the parents have complete control of the kids' app as well. Uh, and I think that's that's the very very key over here because uh, a lot of criminality that you know that you can think that you know, the kids can be exposed to, um, the, the parents can control it. Uh, you can swipe off, uh, you know, uh, the the contactless payments if you think that that is something. That uh, you know, you're concerned about anything that the kids, uh, you know, could pro- probably be exposed to, you know, more risks through that. So you can, you know, uh, just have that feature turned off, or you can have, uh, you know, some other feature turned off, such as online payments or limit the merchants that they can pay online can also be, you know, limited. So, so that's that's kind of how parental controls plus all these, uh, you know, compliance checks is something that that really helps limit these risks. I think being a good bank and and limiting the risk on that front end, and then also giving the 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 parent control on the back end seems like the dream combo. Stephen, have you seen anything again looking at your own experience on on this this digital? You mentioned it earlier as well. Do you want to unpack that ever so slightly in terms of the, those digital and cyber risks? Yeah, I think building on um, the points that Louise was making around the four pillars, there was a couple of other areas in our discussion with parents and with children that came through quite interestingly. One was the entrepreneur um, and the the potential and the desire for many of the younger generation to want to run their own business uh, and exploring what that might mean. Um, and, and the other for us was the cyber or the security risk and, and opportunities in particular to engage in a conversation about it. And I think these are really important conversations to have. 
Um, and as a parent, I see some brilliant work that's done by the schools just generally to increase children's awareness of the importance of security when they're online. Um, I guess to increase their levels of suspicion um, when unusual things happen. Um, and I think bringing into that a conversation about um, how to manage money now things and the economy and the market is moving more digital, as, as Mason said, is it's prompting that conversation. And the ability to build on some of the great work that the schools are doing more generally around security, I think, is, is hugely helpful. Um, when I think about some of the, the risks, certainly at a much younger age, I think there's a, a balance here to strike between the, the social risk and the challenge of not having the conversation and engaging children in a discussion about how to manage safely and securely their money um, versus actually enabling uh, children to have access to uh, their ability to spend, whether it is a card. And it's a, especially when you begin to see that the balances on the cards at a much younger age is much lower. So the attractiveness for, um, for, for uh, potential criminals to be interested in that segment of the market is potentially a lot lower. Um, and I think this is the balance we've got to strike now as we begin to look at a, a market and an economy that's incredibly digital. It is contactless, it is more cashless with a generation coming through that need to understand these risks and how to manage money successfully, both to earn it, save it, grow it, and so on. I think one of the things that we've seen that, that speaks to this um, is, is um, again, coming from what we observe in the behaviour and the actions of the kids, um, the number of times they lose their pin or they, they forget their pin. Well, we can see when they're getting it wrong. We can remind them with a real-time notification how to check in the app to look for their PIN and how important it is to keep it safe. Um, we, do, we do quite a lot of work with our, our financial education push notifications. That they sound terribly grand when you put it like that, but it's just a little ping on your phone. Um, how to spot a fake website or how to keep your PIN safe. But there is information there in the payment transaction itself around things like um, subscription services. So we know, um, if, you spoke, if I spoke to our member services manager, she'd tell me one of the most common uh, reasons for customers phoning up is that their son or daughter's accidentally signed up to, I won't name any of the subscription services, but I'm sure you can think of all of their names. They've accidentally signed up to it, and all of a sudden there's a $7.99 coming out every month. Well, we can see those recurring transactions flagged as recurring transactions. We can ping that notification to the parent. Um, you know, there's, the, there are all sorts of things that if you think about the tech that is there that we can do to make things even safer for kids, actually for adults as well, but uh, for kids for sure. And I think that's a really good pivot point, um, Louise, because I think that sort of what you can do given the card controls and virtual cards that we see happening in adult apps right now, the level of granularity you can start to get over that is, is really, really powerful. So I'm going to start with Mason. Where do you think the financial products for young people go next? Like what, what are going to be the frontiers? Because it feels like we've coalesced around a sort of a set of features and capabilities. What do you think the things that are, as you look to the future, are going to be really important to, to make a difference? Well, um, I, I think I think just you know starting on the surface itself, when you talk about financial literacy and and the and and the potential of that, uh, you're still looking at at the at the surface of you know what all the conversations that you can drive and what are the special spaces that you can build within these apps. 
to to just, just promote those conversations and encourage those conversations further. Um, there are a lot of as 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 I remember, like you know, when I got my first job and and I I went and uh, went to a bank and I realized there were so many you know, different different products that were out there. I mean, you can, we can't even imagine and. Uh, and I had no idea, and and it took me a long while to actually really understand each of these products and slowly, slowly be comfortable with them. And uh, and if you just see what we have right now um, in some of the apps, we we have we've got the basics covered. Right? We've got the basic understandings and the basic concepts of the value of money, the value of saving, the value of giving, uh, spending judicially, and and budgeting and and planning uh, yourself. But there. Are, you know, a lot of other things that uh, that can be or other concepts that, you know, are still out there uh, you know, that could be interesting uh, for kids as well. And obviously, you know, you have to segment it by by age. So uh, you can think about, you know, the older kids, the, the teenagers in high school, uh, and there would be a lot of interesting products for them. And, and you know, uh, uh, that we can we can actually go ahead and uh, tailor for them and you know, create for them. Uh, so that's one, I think so. And, and then moving forward from there, I think so. Uh, it would be interesting to see once you have a very financially uh, savvy set of late teens or teenagers, um, uh, they might just think more. Like you know, they they can come back and actually tell you that okay, we understand these basics already right now. Uh, we are going to go to college. We're going to go to real life. Uh, we I, we think that this is the kind of right products that we need because right now when we have all these products for these young adults. They are based on the understanding of what we have or what or what parents have, but this is probably we're looking at you know a, a change in terms of the end users who are going to be these young adults who are going to be using these products can now start talking about what works for them and what doesn't work for them and can make better choices. So it's basically going to really change uh, even how you know, banking works for young adults as well. I, I absolutely agree with you there, Mason. I know we we've had some. Um, customers who've come to us with stories where their child, their teenager has got to 16 and they've, to coin the phrase that they've used, they've set them up a real bank account. And then literally eight weeks later, they come back and say, can we go back to Go Henry, please? And when we, when I first heard some of the anecdotes from the, the customer service team about that happening, I thought, well, that's really weird. And then I thought about what happened when my oldest, who's now 22, graduated from Go Henry, if you like, when came off the end of the uh, uh, 18. And um, she went to one of the large high street banks, um, not Santander. And uh, she came back howling um, with indignation that she wasn't getting real-time notifications, that she wasn't being told what her spent balance was she was only being told what her settled balance was so her spotify subscription bounced the next day when she thought she had enough money and because she's been involved and and heard from me about how payments work she knew that the bank in question knew perfectly well that she didn't have the money there to for the spotify subscription but they didn't tell her and um i think exactly what mason's saying we're actually with these digital services and, and apps, we're creating a very demanding set of customers who are emer- will emerge into the world of adulthood with um, very high expectations of financial services as a whole, not just banking. 
Yeah, and I think that high expectation is no bad thing to have. As our representative from a high street bank, which we should have mentioned, have come a long way in the last four or five years uh, in terms of their capabilities. Stephen, how do you think about that journey from uh, kind of a teenager into adulthood um, and, and where, where that needs to go? Well, I, I think it's really interesting. If I, if I jump back to, I think, the question you asked us earlier as well around where could this go in future, I think there's three areas I see quite interesting happening, and they kind of uh, settle a little bit into the different age ranges. I, I can see a real push more into gamification at a younger age to engage children much more in that learning experience. And I think uh, what I've seen from the team behind Nestlems, which is a guy called Mark Warwick, who we worked with at um, thought machine is is a real push into that area and i think that's really interesting to see um the, the second bit i think is you start to transition up to the the teenage group is that the emergence of the wearables and how that experience begins to transition into something that, are, that children have got um and they're wearing and the, that's with them at all times and and that for me is a bit of the bridge then into what they start to experience when they move into potentially more of an adult relationship with money and the shift to something which i know that the guys at 11fs have been have been talking about for some time which is this move to more self-drive finance and the introduction of ai and their expectation being high of any partner they have in financial services to bring them things that are personalized that are intuitive that help me not just to be offered a proposition but understand how that can work for me um, and nudge me at a time that it's right. So you can see that I've got my pin wrong. So therefore, bringing me back into that experience of how to get access to it, as Louise just described. Um, I think it's starting to raise the bar in terms of that expectation to a level that that is beyond just the the products and services and the the money itself and my understanding of it. It's the experience that's wrapped around it. And I think that's where the bar will be raised. It's the whole domain or the ecosystem or the end-to-end journey of that digital life and where money hits my entire digital life as I'm as I'm growing up and and I think that is a really interesting uh, place to to leave it to think about. Um, I've had a phenomenal time uh, learning from you all today, so thank you so much for for joining us. Um, just remind everybody, Stephen, where can people find out a little bit more about you and what you do over at Santander? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. So Stephen Jury um, on LinkedIn, please let me up. And of course, Louise. Louise Hill on LinkedIn and gohenry.com online. And Mason. Yeah, likewise. Mason Dirkey on LinkedIn. And uh, to know about Revolut Junior, just Revolut the website and just pop into the Junior tab over there. Fantastic. And you find me at SY Taylor on Twitter or Simon Taylor on LinkedIn. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please remember to subscribe to our podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make the show a lot better. And tell everybody you know about the podcast. Just walk into um, the room that's next door. And even if nobody's there, tell them. Um, tell everybody online. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And we shall speak to you soon. Bye for now.